What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Squad Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Morning, with uh, Ryan O'Hara, Reginald Andre, Randy Bryan. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. Finally starting to warm up a little bit. Nice, nice. So today, guys, we're going to talk about cybersecurity stuff like we always do on the show. Um, but we're also going to get into a little bit about employees, right? Employees and how they can cause breaches. And we got some stories and some examples that we want to share with you today um, because we hear a lot around about this, around these types of things, right? Because mm-hmm. cybersecurity, we usually think of hackers and <clears throat> almost like almost like what? The, the old house robber, whatever they used to call those those people, right? The guy busting in the front door, coming in the window with the with the uh, white and black uh, shirt on, the striped shirt with the with the mask over his eyes. Um, you know, we got we got our hacker with the hoodie on, right? And sometimes the people that cause breaches are your own employees, the people that you have on the W two payroll, or maybe even partners and things like that. So we're going to show you some examples, talk about, tell you some stories. Um, about some experiences that we have around breaches that involved your own employees. Um, so that's what the topic of the show is going to be today. But Randy, what's the fee? So there, um, the fee is we want you guys to like, comment, subscribe, basically share the show out there. When you like it, it affects the algorithms of the search engines and podcasts and all that stuff helps us reach other people when you do that. And then also by uh, commenting does the same thing, affects affects the algorithms, sharing it out to your friends, family, business associates on your LinkedIn, on your Facebook. um, That also helps uh, people find it. So that's our fee. Thank you, brother. Yep. Help us grow the show organically, guys. We don't annoy you with ads and stuff like that. Although we might, who knows? We might, we might, we might never switch over to the dark side and, and take some advertising or some sponsorships. Who knows? Um, but we don't do that now. Uh, we want to help grow this show organically, get the word out about cybersecurity and what you guys can start doing to protect yourself. So uh, let's get into the topics today, guys. So the first one we're going to jump into is I think we picked this one because it's just kind of funny and interesting at the same time. Um, but I, I like to file this one under, uh, we don't have people like that here. How many times have I heard that from, from business owners and, and, um, you know, people that run it companies, right? My phone's going off. Sorry about that. Um, so, you know, how many times have you guys had, I mean, at least I've had many times yep. this year and, and my many years in business, we don't have people like that here. The employees are never going to be the reason that we have a breach. Nobody's ever going to steal my data and go start their own company. Um, or in this case, steal data from their employer and get favors for it. So <laughs> to keep it G-rated. Um, so let's talk about this one. What happened here? Andre, what happened here in Salt Lake? He threw this article at us. So what happened here? Um, fill us in and, and let us know uh, what ha- who was involved and, and how did he get caught? Yes. Yeah, so a 50-year-old man, Patrick Dreskall, um, he is a information technology employee for the city of uh, Salt Lake City. And um 
he essentially had access to everything, including uh, the police department. And specifically, there was a uh, human trafficking sex ring going on. And this guy, Patrick, made a deal. So he went into the file, see what the police was investigating, and essentially contacted that person and says, look, I'll give you a heads up of what they know about you and what, what they're doing, um, you know, when they're going to do their raids, et cetera, if you exchange, uh, give me some money or give me some sex in exchange. So the prostitute. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So you're, first off, your your computer glitched. You you had bugs oh. or something, and we missed maybe. I, I think yeah. that guy's in his system. He's trying to stop the spread of this. Yeah, he's trying to stop you. He doesn't want he's you telling the world about his, his, little, his little secrets. Don't, don't get in, in between him and his favors. So the gist of it here is, is that this guy uh, worked in the IT department. There was a, an investigation happening uh, for some crimes, and I guess it was, I guess it was sex crimes, sex trafficking crimes. And this guy decided to give out information about the investigation to, to the person, right? Stole information from the police's, the police department servers. And he didn't work in the police department. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I want to map this out really well. So people understand, right. He didn't, he didn't work in the police department. He did work for the city but not for the police department. Now, I, I know the city of Philadelphia, right? And I got to imagine it's kind of similar because it's similar in the town that I live in as well, which is not Philadelphia, um, where the municipal government and the police department are kind of separate in terms of like the network and things like that, or at least from a technology standpoint, Um so it is a little peculiar to me that this guy would have access to the police system, right? You would think that, that a city employee would not be able to cross-pollinate into other departments and things like that. So that's one thing we'll get into a little bit here that I kind of want people to have their radar up on because it's like, you know, yeah, he was a city employee, but how did he get into the police, you know, database into the system and then he decided to take that data and ship that off to the criminals who were being investigated for these sex crimes in exchange for as uh andre mentioned uh sexual favors i guess uh things like that um so let's just get right into it what's what are some things that you guys are seeing like one of the things obviously is we don't have people that i started off with we don't have people like that that work here right and I got to I kind of look at every time I hear that. And I, and I said to you guys in the green room, like every time I hear that from somebody, yeah, I might be a little cynical, but I just don't trust people that much. Right. Like I think that, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people are willing to sell out a lot of things in their life, their own lives, let alone a job, a paycheck for, you know, some what they view some short-term game, right? Like they're going to probably end up getting caught losing their job, but the short-term gain is, you know, money, sex mm -hmm. or what have you. So um, I don't subscribe to, we don't have people like that here. And I think that once you start acting like that, you open yourselves up to things like this. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I, I think one thing to think about is, is just think about all those news stories where, you know, somebody got got arrested for a crime and they start interviewing the neighbors and, and you know, 
we, we never would have suspected this from them. I mean, this is yeah. all too common. It's not just an IT related issue. Sure. People have different, uh, you know, different things going on outside factors that may change, you know, one day to another, you know, you, you may have a financial issue that all of a sudden makes you more susceptible for this. So you never know. You know, it, it really boils down to zero trust. We always throw out that word. It's a buzzword these days. Zero trust means nobody gets trusted. It's all good. It's not personal, um, but nobody gets trusted and you only give access to things that people need access to. And in this case, um, the, a person who's a database administrator needs to have that permission to run all the admin things on the database, but then they need to be data agnostic. They need to not be able to see the data. Then they can do their job and then they won't be able to see the data. And also the city of Salt Lake needs to make sure that their discussion of criminals is in cases is separate from the IT people. The IT people don't need to be involved mm -hmm. in that. Once again, data administration versus being able to see the data. And that's all that all boils down to, to zero trust 101 right there. Yeah, 100 percent. And so one of the things like that I tell people all the time is like, that's great that you don't think you have people like that in your company and you have all angels and saints that work for you and nothing's ever going to change. But in the event that you have human beings working for you, what are some things that you can do or what are some things that you can have in place to make sure that this stuff doesn't rear its ugly head and cause a problem for you? One of the things I always recommend is making sure that companies have language inside. Number one, they should have an employee handbook, something that they give out that employees sign. <clears throat> and then within that handbook, there's there's a level of an acceptable use agreement and what you can and cannot do on your computer systems that you're allowing them to use while they do their job. Um, that there, I've seen employee handbooks that mention nothing about IT or or how you handle technology or or how you handle the equipment that is given to you by the company. That's kind of just absent. And and to me, that is how you start to let people know, like kind of here are the guardrails. Here's what you can do on our systems, and here's what you can't do. Um, so even if somebody does have access from a technical standpoint you at least have a policy in place that gives you some leverage if they decide to go ahead and, and you know, peruse around your network or something like that and, and they get access to things that maybe they shouldn't be seeing. What are your guys' thoughts on, like, how do you prevent, um, you know, that employee from coming in and, you know, getting access to things or looking at things, maybe not out of malicious, maybe they're just sitting there bored one day and they're like, oh, what happens if I click on this? And then the next thing you know, they they go down that rabbit hole and they just, you know, stumbled into everybody's payroll information. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Is policies enough or do you guys think there's another way? I mean, you need, you need to have both. I mean, I think technology is usually the, the first thing that people go to, you know, let's, let's lock this down so they don't have access to it. But, you know, you have to plan for the, the inevitability of, of, you know, a hole or a misconfiguration or something like that. So it's just as important to have those written policies. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you, you accidentally leave something open for somebody to have access to, you know, like payroll information, people are naturally curious. It's really difficult to, to, 
you know, be able to tell somebody, hey, you're not supposed to be looking at this. You know, they see it, they're going to be like, uh, one little look can't hurt. So it's it's really important. You want to have as much technology as you can to stop it from being able to happen in the first place, but you still need to have those written policies to, to govern that if, if something falls through the cracks. And I would also add that there has to be some type of audit with a third party that's an audit log essentially where someone's looking to see, okay, this is a sensitive data folder with the cases and whatever else it is and who's been accessing. Why is IT looking at pictures from you know a rape like what's the correlation where's there was there a ticket because an officer or investigator couldn't open the folder and they had to now uh you know see what was going on or is just an it like uh, ryan ryan said is they go into this rabbit hole because they realize they have keys to the kingdom and that's it's very common in in it companies where the administrator literally can see every single thing from the ceo to the hr but and especially um, when we're talking about uh, a police department, uh, there's got to be some type of uh, someone watching the IT, an independent company that's that's looking at those logs and 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 asking questions. That's a that's a great point because if if the IT department knows that everything they look at is going to be um, audited later, that's going to help cut on that. And then I had a few points to uh, to add. Um, you mentioned policies. We need the policies, but then the IT tech needs to enforce the policies. So the technology needs to be set up to enforce the, the policies. Um, keep in mind that even a well-meaning employee that loves your business, loves working for you, can still make a mistake. Um, so we need to have things in place when mistakes are accidentally made. Um, and then I would say... That giant, you mentioned this in the green room, uh, Brian, that giant 20-year-old shared drive that, you know, back in the day you had it on Windows 95 and it was a shared computer and your police department or your company's grown. Now you have a fancy server and you still have that giant shared drive. I would say take that drive right now, put it in a folder where only the, you know, maybe the CEO has access to it. Um share out back what you actually only need. Um, once again, it goes back to zero trust. Um, people need to be authenticated. Um, who needs access needs to be determined. And then they only should see what they have access to, you know, uh, bottom line. So another thing too, is, is it's not just like your, your regular day-to-day people, right? It, you need to look at the, the higher level people too. I mean, a lot of times when we see stuff like this, it's it's the higher level person who thought that they you know were immune from all these rules that was the one that was the entry point or, or how this data got leaked. So it's important to make sure that that even the, the the high level people only have access to what they need. And this this even goes down to like an ownership level. I mean, if you don't need access to it, don't give yourself access to it. You know, even if you know you're not going to do anything bad with it, what if somebody gets access to your account? They've got access to everything. Exactly right. I mean, you, you really got to take the time to look at and identify what you have and what you need to protect and who needs access to it. It's a big problem for businesses because we know we, we see this all the time. I would say this is probably the number one thing um, that we see that gets pushed down the bottom of the list because they just don't see it as, as a major risk, but it can be a major risk in a lot of different ways. Not just the fact that if a cyber criminal gets into your network, he can, go to one spot and he has access to a lot of your data, 
um, because you're not doing a good job of segregating it, but you're also allowing employees to do the same thing and they can get to a treasure trove very quickly and in the wrong hands, it could get ugly very quick. So anything else about what happened over in Salt Lake you guys want to talk about before we kind of move on to our other topics? And I would last thing I would just say is the the damages that's going to be done now as far as monetary. The article mentioned that it's going to their estimate is going to cost the city half a million dollars to do a full audit just to make sure uh, a nobody else is doing this and and nobody else is in their system. So they're going to be spending a lot of money um, after the fact. And based on what happened and that it was an employee, the cyber insurance policy may not even cover it because it wasn't necessarily like a typical outside attacker with somebody in. Great point, great point. So next what we're going to jump into is another breach by an insider um, that happened recently, and it's with MailChimp. And they had to disclose that an internal tool was used to breach hundreds of accounts. So Ryan, take us down what happened here over at MailChimp, who was involved, and what happened. All right. So, so this one, uh, they, they identified a malicious actor accessing a tool from their customer support um, system. So, I mean, to me, this, this is a good example of, of where you need to be careful. Like, so, so you've got, you know, a relatively lower level entry level position at a company, you know, they've still got access to tools that, that can obviously do some damage. So, so one, you know, do they need to have access to that tool? Do they need to have the level of access to that tool that they that they have, because you have to watch out. I mean, you know, this could be somebody, you know, for a large company like this, um, you know, who knows? This person may have like a gambling problem that that you know their even their supervisor doesn't know about, and all of a sudden they get in debt, and they can be susceptible to being you know reached out by somebody. You know, that doesn't, wasn't necessarily the case here, but just something to think about. Um, Making sure that you've got you know things like logging, like we talked about. You've got visibility. You're looking for uh, individual things that that raise suspicion, so you can investigate and see. I mean, your your employees are always going to be your your weakest link. You know, making sure you have things like security awareness training to hopefully avoid things like um, you know uh, just not knowing any better. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a purposeful act, um, but you know, really watching all of those different things. Yeah, good point. And just to remind our audience, if you're listening and you have any questions, drop them in the comments. We should see them if you give StreamYard uh, access to see your account. Otherwise, uh, we'll see them afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I want to add to what uh, Ryan was just saying. So this is really one of IT's biggest nightmares because IT needs tools to be able to get stuff done. You need to be able like, hey, we're having an issue with the database on the blah, blah, blah account. We need to be able to fix it or we need to have we have issue with this. And, you know, you need to be able to get your stuff done. But when you have the keys to the kingdom, if you will, locked up in a few programs, I mean, that's a huge, huge risk. And that is uh, one of IT's biggest, biggest nightmares um, right here. You need to evaluate the tools that you have. And if there's any way to separate some of the powers that that tool has into maybe another tool or among different people, um, I would highly suggest that. Yep. Andre, anything? Also, also have policies in place to, to you know, count on one of those tools being impacted. You need, you need to prepare for that kind of thing. 
Yeah. And another thing I didn't like that I'm very surprised with MailChimp, and I understand this is internal, but nevertheless, um, it was uh, approximately 300 MailChimp accounts reviewed and successfully exported 102 of those. Like, I mean, even QuickBooks um, or, you know, one of our um, applications we use, they have rules where certain people can't export, you know, can't export the client list. Or if you do export it, a, a, a pin has to be put in or something like that. So I'm just surprised that, um, you know, through this, it was just easily uh, the, the the information was able to be exported. And now who knows what's going to be done with it? Yeah. So, you know, the, the flip side of this, the other side of this issue, right, is you look at the victims and we have Trezor, which if you don't know what Treasure is, Treasure is a hardware wallet for cryptocurrency, right? But this could be anybody. It doesn't have to be just Treasure. Anybody who's a MailChimp customer could have been a victim just like Treasure and the Treasure uh, clients who received emails over the weekend, uh, who basically sending them an email that said that you need to reset your treasure pin. Now, if you know what your treasure pin is, that basically unlocks your treasure. And if somebody has access to your hardware wallet or has access to that pin, they could take over your hardware wallet or at least get that cryptocurrency off of your hardware and onto their treasure hardware. Um, there's a lot of different things that could result as a result from this type of email going out from a company like Trezor. But just think about if it came from your two-factor company or, or wherever, you know, because they might use a certain mail provider. Um, this can happen to any company. So that being said, guys, what do you recommend for companies to do? Or do you recommend they don't use a service like MailChimp? Like, is MailChimp just not good enough from a security standpoint? What's your thoughts on this? Well, it's hard to tell what is a good enough service these days. I mean, you, you can ask until you're blue in the face, but, you know, what's MailChimp going to tell you? I mean, you, you, I think you have to assume that anybody that you're working with could be, you know, yep. uh, an, an entry point for some sort of issue, yep. and you have to plan accordingly for that. You know, yep. what is, what is going to happen? We do that with, with the tools that we use. You know, we're yep. using this to protect people, but we also have to say what happens if they get hit and then they start trying to push stuff out and you need to have other layers to protect that yeah it's mailchimp's got to have a mind a mind shift uh businesses in general have to have a complete a complete shift in their way of thinking and that's what you just said is literally zero trust it's that shift towards that where you assume the the bad people are in the stuff and so then you've got to separate like i mentioned earlier brian you got to separate the powers you know, maybe put multi-factor in one um, uh, one app and have your passwords that you need in another. You know, look at who has access to what. Um, limit things. You don't don't just have blanket sharing for everybody, um, unless it is something that literally everybody um, needs. And a company can't have the attitude. Well, it's always worked for us in the past because if that's their attitude, it's literally like you're driving down the road in a vehicle, your whole company, or whether that's a bus or a little, little Cooper mini, if you're one or two people, but you're driving down the road in a vehicle and it's got a ticking time bomb in it. And you don't know when it's going to go off, but eventually it's going to go off. You can't just say, well, it's always worked like that in the past because you know, they used to, they, they used to, they used to have, they used to drive around with goggles on before there were windshields. 
<laughs> right? That's right. And goggles always worked, right? But what? Exactly. It was just a better deal, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of like what we're saying here. So, you know, it's interesting because MailChimp would not admit to yeah. – oh, and the other thing, too, I want to mention is it's not about stealing the pin here. The, the, the email that was sent to the treasury users actually downloaded malicious software, and that malicious software would have allowed them to take over the wallet for for the user which is pretty ugly um you know there's there's people with a lot of money on these on these on these hardware tokens and things like that so mailchimp would not say how many other cryptocurrency services or financial institutions were affected by the incident so buyer beware you could be getting emails from different places financial institutions in a very similar manner that Trezor customers got emails from what they thought was Trezor. So um, you're going to have to be on high alert as an end user to make sure you're looking at the sender, making sure that you're reading the email and that it makes sense. There's no spelling errors, things like that. Um, and really take a look at where that link is sending you uh, so you don't click on it and, and go somewhere you don't want to be. Right. Um, and, and, and potentially getting malware, ransomware. Um, unfortunately, the, the grand outfall from somebody like MailChimp, where there's a, 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 a level of trust that has to be built in for their service to exist. Um, this erodes MailChimp's trust, number one. Um, but it also, you know, erodes just business in general. Our, our, our outlook on these companies, are they, are they doing things the right way? I definitely think that MailChimp is going to take a look at this incident and look at how they can do things better. I think a lot of the things that Randy mentioned with segregation and making sure that you can't see both sides of the data um, if you're a particular employee there and things like that. It's clear that these things are not in place there now and it's time you know, moves on, MailChimp's going to realize that they need to do things a little bit better. Um, I have one, one point I want to add to that. You, you've, uh, you mentioned one of the accounts that was breached. People have no idea how, this is a small breach, you know, hundreds of accounts. This is so valuable because mm -hmm. you get XYZ company, you get their, their account exported. Now you know who their 3,000 customers are on their list. And man, a bad actor could tailor emails so specifically now because they have that insider information. They know what emails you've sent out before. They know what you guys talk about and they know who your customers are. That can be tailored. Uh, this is just disturbing how valuable this would be to criminals. Right. And we have no idea who's involved. Another right. thing I think I think that business owners need to consider with stuff like this is kind of there, there's there's hidden costs here. So there's the obvious, you know, whether it's ransomware, reputation hit, you know, that kind of thing. But there's also a huge cost in a situation like this for the forensics. They have to go through and look and find out what happened, what data was accessed, and that stuff costs a well, lot of money. Not, not only not only that, but Treasure has to deal with this, right? Imagine you're a business and you wake up Saturday morning. And you got pissed off customers saying, you sent me this email and now I got malware and you had nothing to do with it, but you still have to deal with it. You, somebody had to go out on Twitter and let, you know, and, and, and it, you know, it's not like they woke up 
had a bunch of pissed off customers and then was like, oh, we got to go to Twitter and put something out. There was probably hours of investigations of IT people trying to figure out what actually happened. Right. And I would imagine that it's not an easy thing for them to go from, hey, I'm, I'm, I got an email from you and I got malware. It's not going to be an easy they're not going to connect the dots very easily and say, oh, it probably was something that happened over here at MailChimp. This probably took hours and people go, what the F is going on? Like, how did, we, and, and, you know, then they finally pieced it together and said, okay, here's, here's what happened. It came from MailChimp. And then you got to contact MailChimp and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on. And then the first thing they're going to say is, oh, no, we're not aware of anything. Right. And then you got to convince them that they have a freaking problem. Um, God knows how long that took, because um, sometimes that can take a while before a company realizes or admits that they actually have an issue. So, um, you know, all around, you know, and my point is, is why I point this out is any business at any point in time could have a partner or vendor or client or or a supplier who gets breached that then affects your business, right? And you have to be aware that this stuff is going on and that this stuff is out here and you have to start putting in preventative measures so you don't get caught, right? So um, real quick, off the top of your head, guys, what could a business do? <clears throat> you know, I think this is a pretty easy example, quite frankly, but if you were a customer of MailChimp, and this happened to you, what are some things that you should be doing right now? Or what are some, you know, some things besides the obvious of like, you know, get rid of MailChimp and go to some other service that can send out emails. Um, but besides that, what, what are you doing? Are you getting ahead of this? Um, personally, I think MailChimp needs to get ahead of this and release all the companies that were touched by this individual, right? So then that way they can go out and say, okay, you know, I'm not saying this happened, but if it was Wells Fargo, hey, Wells Fargo customers, you might get a lot of spam in the next couple of weeks. Be vigilant, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or, or Wells Fargo sends out a message saying, hey, we were involved in the MailChimp incident. Here's what happened. You know, we're not going to send you any email for the next 60 days or something like that. So if you do get an email from Wells Fargo, delete it. Um, you know, there's things that can happen to get ahead of this. What are some ideas that you guys have? Well, I would say, first off, go lock your credit account. We've mentioned that several times. That's how <clears throat> they could use some of your info to open up accounts, this and that. You lock your credit with a pin. Go uh, Google that. You can do that um, personally. Um, I would also say uh, train yourself in how to evaluate an email. Um, and if you're unsure forward it to your IT uh, cybersecurity professional and let them evaluate it for you. But, you know, evaluate like where it's from, who it's to. What, what if I'm a MailChimp customer? What can uh -huh. I do? What should I uh -huh. do? Should I be reaching out to MailChimp and asking them, was my account affected? Oh. And, and what are some things that businesses can do if they are a MailChimp customer? Well, I wouldn't stick your head in the sand because we've seen almost every company um, that gets breached, they always start off with saying, oh, nothing happened here. And, you know, and then they come back a couple of weeks later. Oh, we were wrong. There was some stuff. So I would assume that you got breached if you're a MailChimp customer and probably close your account and find somewhere else to do your uh, your email from. 
Would you reach out to your customers and let them know that you were a MailChimp customer and that this happened and that if anything comes from your company to delete it? It's a good idea. Because I think that that's what needs to happen. MailChimp's a huge company. I know tons and tons of companies that use them. God knows how far and wide this can be. Um, And it would be smart for any company that uses MailChimp, in my opinion, to get ahead of this and come up with a strategy to let your customers know that the only the only open emails with this indicator or we're not going to email you for the next you know 30 or 60 days until this clears up there's a, a lot of different things that you can do right you can put a, a specific image or you can put a specific wording in the email that says if it doesn't have this in it then it didn't come from us right there's things that you can do to get ahead of this for your customers if you are a MailChimp customer and you find yourself needing to kind of deal with this, which I think all of them are. So next one we're going to jump into, are we good on that one MailChimp or you guys got anything else you want to add? Yeah. Uh, one more thing. They, so they're claiming out of the 300, only a uh, well, 300 compromises, but then only 102 where the data was accessed. So like uh, Randy said, it's only a matter of time until they come back and be like, Hey, just kidding. It's, you know, a few hundred thousand. So, all right, so rounding it out, guys, next one, bad employees and how they cause breaches for today's topic. Cash App uh, breached after former employee accessed U.S. customer data. Hmm, sounds familiar. So what happened here, Randy? Who done it? What'd they do? So basically a former employee still had access to a report feature that shared a lot of information. Um, They were able to um, get people's full name, um, their brokerage account number, their portfolio value, their holdings um, in some instances, their stock trading activity and other instances. This, once again, if you just, you know, you read a little bit, you're like, oh, that's not so bad. (laughs) But if you think about how a criminal could use this or even how a government could use this. We've seen governments in the last uh, six months use this kind of info to block people out of bank accounts and stuff like that. Like this is very private data um, and can be used in so many ways. This is so valuable. I don't know if this person was malicious or if they're just like, whoa, I can still log in and they downloaded something. But then you don't know if their computer's compromised or not. And if that data has already gone out into the wild, there's no there's no way of, of knowing that. So this is a pretty big deal. Are, are we long past the days of like people being worried about their identity to the point where I am where like anything with my address on it gets shredded? <laughs> yes. Like, are we past that point? Like, am I just wasting my time shredding this stuff? Should I just toss it in the garbage and... You know, because I always like I'm like that guy who's like, oh, somebody's going to figure out, you know, my life by digging through my trash. Like, the, no. uh, the, the LifeLock guy put his Social Security when he started his business. He had right. it on like a bus and he like drove around. Right. He right. found out later that's I think that's illegal in some states or maybe federally. You're not really allowed to do that. But, you know, I don't know, man, you got a good point. Maybe we just need to put it all on our vehicles and just drive around. And like, I just don't I just. I just wonder where people, the general population, you know, the mass average person, where are they at on protecting their own identity? Because there's guys like me who shred everything, you know, that 
has my address and name attached to it. Um, and I try to keep myself as digitally secure as possible, even though most public websites have most of the information anybody would want anyway. Um, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, I get that it's kind of out there. Um, but I also think that you still need to have that personal responsibility and make sure you're doing everything you can to protect that information. Um, and I don't know if businesses are there yet. And I think that that's what we're challenging businesses to do by talking about this today is to take this stuff way more seriously than you do and look at all avenues of, of, of being, of, of being attacked. So what are you guys, what are you guys thinking about this, uh, this breach? What can companies do around this stuff? Right. Cause you know, I talked a little bit in the green room about, um, some of the things that we we practice with our clients and we and we and we talk about things on a quarterly basis with the stakeholders and we're constantly you know making sure that everybody's in agreement with the policies that are in place and making sure that those policies are being um, not only distributed and trained on but reinforced and that we're making sure people adhere to them um, but that's all done from the C-suite, right? And when you're in the C-suite and you're looking down, everything can kind of be looked through rose-colored glasses, so to speak. Um, and when you talk to the people in the trenches and you figure out that maybe things aren't happening the way that you think they are in the C-suite, do you think that we have a little bit of that going on here where maybe with cash app they thought that they had an offboarding process that was tight that was good that you would expect from a company of this size and they didn't or do you think that there's something else going on here i just don't see how this could be how this could have happened like this this has to be something bigger that is disorganized on their side because an employee offboard is employee offboard. You know, you have a checklist and and you you know you disable, you turn off, you delete, inactivate, whatever the case is. And um, I mean, it could have been an IT person who checkmarked everything, but he he just you know accidentally missed it. But I don't know. I, I I think it's just I think it's a it's a bigger issue. And I've seen this so many times where companies you know you go in and you look at the act, their Active Directory to see like all of the employees that they have or that has access to the server. And it's like, everybody's still there. And it's like, you know, they start to use general accounts instead of putting, you know, reception, you know, instead of putting a name, they put receptionist. So um, uh, if I had to guess, it would be uh, something bigger where they're not, you know, maybe they're too big and they're just not uh, following the procedures or there's nothing in place for checking balances on this. And you need to have some overlap too, right? So like if, if there's just one thing, you know, like they reset the password or, or limit somebody's account um, and then somebody makes a mistake someplace, then that, that's left wide open. So instead, you know, make sure that, that, you know, somebody's changing the password so they can't get into it. Somebody's deactivating their account, blocking sign-ins, removing access from things that they have access to. So if any one of those things was dropped, all of the others should cover it. So making sure you have a really stringent and detailed process around that. Yeah, good point. Because, okay, there's one thing if the IT forgot their VPN, for example. But then what about the website, the internal website? Why wasn't that deactivated? Why wasn't, you know, whatever else um, is there? So. And this, you know, the, the interesting thing for me is, is that they're not, 
you know, they refused to answer about questions of why the former employees still had access to this data and for how long they retained access after their employment at the company had ended. So just on the surface to me, I read that and say, yeah, they probably didn't have a really tight offboarding plan, right? A company of this size should not, I get small business world, them not like running the risk of somebody not doing something, right? But a company of this size, somebody should be checking. Somebody should be checking that you don't have stale accounts out there that nobody's logging into, right? Or or somebody should be checking and inspecting what a particular offboarding technician did, meaning, okay, yeah, I did X, Y, and Z and disabled their account, changed the password, whatever it is. And it doesn't end there. Somebody goes in behind that person and verifies that act that actually happened. And that person signs off it like, okay, yes, this happened. Right. So that could be it, that could be HR. doesn't really matter, but you as business owners, you need to inspect what you expect. Right. So if you expect a full offboarding and, and accounts to be disabled, you need to have a way to take a look and inspect that. There's a lot of different ways you can go about that in the IT world for just checking whether or not somebody has been offboarded properly. Um, but you have to do that kind of stuff today because otherwise you end up in a world like this, but it's disturbing to me that this company is basically refusing to admit to, you know, what I, what I see is a, as a, a policy and procedure failure. Right. <clears throat> so where my brain goes when I see this kind of stuff is, when are they testing this stuff? When are they doing tabletops? When are they figuring out this stuff? And like, you know, I don't know. Cash App's got to be a couple billion dollar company, right? They're mm -hmm. probably traded, right? You Like to me with that revenue level, there's no excuse for this kind of stuff. Am I, am I being too hard on this company or, or are we just seeing yet another example of a company making money hand over fist and not investing enough in cybersecurity like we see all the time. I think that's part of the problem though, is that we're seeing this all the time. So it's almost like, you know, we're, we're saying it's okay just by not doing much more about it. So how many, you know, we, we never have any shortage of stories like this when we start planning for these shows. So mm -hmm. at what point is somebody going to do something about it and, and really start enforcing some rules and policies? That, that is a great point, Ryan. I have no idea. I don't think ever anyone's ever going to enforce it, right? Nobody forces you to put an alarm system or a camera system in, in your business, right? Nobody forces you to do any of that stuff. It's by choice. Um, you know, I just don't see how the government's going to be able to force anybody that doesn't have a, a contract or gets money from from the federal or state or local governments, if, if they're completely private, they're not accepting any government contract. I don't see how you have any enforcement on those if they're in an unregulated industry. Well, even customers are kind of, you know, in, in a sense, tolerating it by, you know, still doing business with all these companies and not asking these questions. So, you know, Correct. at some point it, it's, it's got to hit them in the, in the wallet before they're going to take the, the time and, and invest the money into protecting. A hundred percent. And like we saw, I, I think, it was a very similar, I, I, when you guys were, when we were talking about the previous one, um, 
with uh, what was that app? What was the other one we just did? The one before Salt this Lake. one? No, the one after that. So that one, I was thinking about the Twitter hack, right? Or the Mailchimp one, right? Somebody like I remember when Twitter, when the when the person got tricked into, you know, letting the tech support guy in, right? And then they were putting all these Bitcoin addresses on celebrities' accounts and things like that. So um, this stuff can happen at any time, right? And you know, we've given you several examples, and we've talked about kind of our own experience with employees and how they cause breaches and how, you know, I think there's probably going to become a day in, in, in the world of cybersecurity that we live in where the employee is a bigger threat than a cyber criminal. You know, I don't know when that's going to be. Um, and, and that's going to come in a dump, couple of different flavors, meaning malicious employees, dumb employees, people who forget to do things, but also compromised employees, right? Cyber criminals will will proxy their activity through your employees when they once they figure out, you know, an easy way to make that happen and easy way to contact your employees and things like that. That will become a thing when companies like us build up defenses that just make, you know, compromising your employee a lot more attractive and a lot more easier way to get in. So um I think it's an important topic and it, why we brought it up is exactly those reasons. I think we're at the beginning of another uh, flavor of cybersecurity, which is the employee being compromised or the employee becoming a problem for your business as well. Um, and we can't continue to drive down the road wearing goggles. We need to start putting windshields in place and we got to start doing the things uh, inside our business that we haven't been doing for the last 25, 30 years because we've never had to do it. Uh, times are changing and we're here to tell you this. So listen to this podcast over and over and get it through your head that you're going to have to start doing more inside of your company to protect your company, your data, your critical assets from your employees causing you to have a problem one day. Is that it, boys? Are we good? Uh, I so, remember working retail, you know, I, they always used to, as a manager, they always used to say in in, internal um, employee theft is the biggest contributor um, on how they're losing money. So, and nowadays it's just going to be on the cyber side as well. All right. So we got Steven. Don't jump, Steven. If we, if we assume the bad guys will have access to everything, what are some ways that this should change the way we store our data and manage our accounts. So we kind of touched on it a little bit ago. We definitely need we need to do a better job of managing our accounts. Um, let's focus on storing the data. What are some things we, we talk about segregation? What are some ways that businesses can segregate? Well, it goes for when that, yesterday, for example, I was at a, a, a client and they wanted the client to be able to access like six different drives. And I asked them like, okay, but what are they doing? Oh, they're the assistant to this person. Okay. So why do they, what do they have to do with marketing? You know, there's, there's no need for, for them to have access. So um, kind of like what uh, was mentioned before is the zero trust in the application and just, uh, excuse me, in the uh, documents. If, if someone doesn't need access to a different department, or um, don't give it to them. Just uh, when they need it, we we'll have that conversation. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, so just limit what people have access to, and then also um, 
what I was talking about earlier, like your your passwords and your multi-factor, some of that stuff has to be shared. So keep that in separate places. So if someone gets into one of one of the things, like Brian mentioned that earlier, like if a, if someone gets into the 365 account, they still don't have access to MFA. Um, so that would be a uh, another way to uh, do this. And then also you've got to look at your your company data. Look at it as something that you want to be able to put basically a fence around, define it, and then be able to control when it goes out of your of your company. Um, it could be simple things like you know um, making people use Edge um, based you know and they're logged in as their company account versus using Chrome you know, where they save passwords in Chrome to their personal account, you know, and then their personal account gets breached. Some of your data just left the company just then. And that's, and that's a great point. And that's a great point, Randy, because here's the perspective that we need to give everybody before we end the show today, which is a lot of these things, and like I, and why I mentioned kind of the analogy of the C-suite and things look rosy from the C-suite, is is these little things that Randy just mentioned right now. The ability to, you have no control whether somebody hits save password in Chrome or not. <clears throat> and that's a huge security risk to your company if I can get those passwords, which I can very easily, just so you know, like without even thinking about it. I can go into your computer right now and I can steal every single password that you have saved in Chrome because it's the worst security on the planet when it comes to that. By design, it's not meant to be a password manager. It's not meant to be secure. It's meant to be convenient. And if you listened to the show last week, you know what I think about convenience and security. Um, but going down to the fact that you can install a lot of file syncing tools like Dropbox, Google Drive, without the need for admin rights. A lot of companies think, oh, we take away admin rights. We don't let people install things on the computer. Well, not everything that you install on your computer needs to have admin rights. Things can be installed under the local user profile and never touch any of the areas of Windows that require a password. You, a, a user, a, a standard user has full control over anywhere in their profile. So if that program can be installed and triggered and run, from within their profile, that will happen and you won't know about it unless you're doing massive auditing on what gets installed on systems and things like that. And then you're doing follow up and checkups. Many, many times we've come, we've come across computers at companies where employees not maliciously or, you know, a, a vendor or partner they were working with on a project asked them to install something and they did or asked, their, asked them to sign into an Office 365 account that belongs to that company and not your company. These things are happening today, right now, across America in businesses where users don't understand the implications of cross-pollinating users within their cloud, Office 365, Google Drive. They just share it out thinking that they're being efficient and getting work done. And they're not thinking about security when they do this stuff. And the computers and the systems just allow them to do it. And it takes security professionals and people who understand maybe compliance and the laws that you live under to look at this stuff and go, do we need to do something to block this, to prevent this, to make sure that this doesn't happen on our systems? That's the level where we need to get to with this stuff, guys. 
Go ahead. Brian, Brian, you mentioned vendors too. And I think that's, that's another one that, that people lose sight of sometimes, you know, you're working with a vendor and you've got, you know, this trust because you're doing business together, but then, you know, for the, to set up an integration, they're asking for full admin rights because it's easier and, and knowing to, to spot that and say, no, what, what rights do you need in order to fulfill this task? And that, that's what we'll provide, but nothing more. Yeah. So like, you know, the example that I gave was like, you know, right now what we're seeing in the world, you guys probably agree with this statement that the enterprise, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 and above is shifting to Office 365. Microsoft is doing a really good job of marketing to and getting these companies to shift over to Teams, OneDrive, Office 365, you know, their 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 uh, Office 365 email, which is basically hosted exchange. Um, you know, they're getting people to move to this at the bigger the bigger companies, which trickles down to the mid market and the small businesses that work with and support and partner with these bigger companies. And they're being forced to move into these products because, you know, when they want to do a Teams meeting, they want to be able to invite people a certain way. And if you don't have a license, you're not going to get invited in a certain way. But if you don't have these accounts established yet, it creates a big problem for your company because these companies can invite your users in. And because you don't have anything established with Microsoft, Microsoft just says, okay, they can be invited in. And now that your, your employee is able to log into a Teams account that you don't control or own, that is, is part of another company, a, a OneDrive account, um, a SharePoint account, you, what have you. These are all services that are available that they could be potentially invited into. And then once they're invited in, if that company has a breach and somehow some way uh, malware gets distributed through Teams to that company and your person's a part of that vendor's team or that partner's team, they potentially could get the malware too. And, and you think you're doing everything right. And then boom, this comes and hits you in the face. This is the reality of the stuff that we're dealing with and the stuff that you need to be aware of as business owners because your employees are just trying to get work done. Again, they're not doing this maliciously, but they're causing security gaps and they're making security holes in your company by doing these things. That's it. That's all I got to say. You guys got anything else you want to add? Yeah. So somebody uh, privately messaged me a question. They wanted to know at what point do companies get too big for their breaches? Little nobody, nobody privately messaged you that. <laughs> Except Fozzie the Bear, maybe. maybe. Excuse me? Maybe Fozzie the Bear. Are, are you saying that was a planted joke? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I don't think any. I mean, the biggest companies have already gotten breached, right? Microsoft, the government. Like, so, I don't know. What's up? What's your point? No, because the question is, at what point do companies get too big for their breaches? But wouldn't you say what what's, what's happened with the U.S. government last year with the solar winds wasn't that huge where you had basically spies and you know, countries reading the Department of Justice internal memos and things like that? Oh, I mean, it's just an interesting world that we live in right now, right? You have this whole ecosystem created by Microsoft, um, you know, that they're kind of, you know, I'm, I'm calling out Microsoft here big time because they create this ecosystem. They 
convince everybody this is where you need to be. Get off Zoom, come to Teams. It's the best. Look at all this integration we created. Look, you can have your calendar right inside Teams. You can't do that with Zoom. And that was kind of like the big selling feature at the enterprise level that it got everybody to change over, quite frankly. Um, and then they make you sign a terms of service that basically says, we're not responsible for your data and your security, but move it all here. Um, and I just think that stuff like that needs to stop. I think that that's where the government needs to say, okay, if you want us to do everything there, move our computers from our offices to the cloud, move our data from our offices to your cloud, then you need to be responsible for the security. And you can't just throw that onto the end user. The security, you know, there are ways that you can get alerts when somebody in your organization joins somebody else's Microsoft organization only if you're already in the Microsoft ecosystem. If you're a company that's not in the Microsoft ecosystem, a lot of this stuff could be happening under your nose without your knowledge because you're just not part of that system. Um, so there's no way for you to receive an alert that somebody may have shared out an account or accepted a sharing invite from another company or been just given access using your company's domain simply because you don't have a Microsoft tenant established yet. These are all things that are that are happening right now in the world. And I think, you know, you know, Microsoft did what they did. They 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 rushed things to market so they can make money and then they worry about security on the back end. And the playing field is different, right? So that these big companies have the cash flow and the cash reserves to recover or just pay the fines or, or you know fix the damage. Whereas a small business doesn't have that. And I think it's setting like the, the wrong tone when, when somebody sees a Microsoft that have an issue and then they're able to move past it. And then the small business goes, well, you know, hey, if, if they don't need to do anything about it, then, then why can't I? Only to find out when it happens, it's going to cost them a ton and they may go out of business because they don't have that kind of cash reserve. So it's it's not about being too big for the breaches. It's being being too small. Mm -hmm. Being too small and and, you know, it's coming folks like the, the 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 expense to secure this stuff but if you're not kind of gotten hit with the office 365 m365 bug yet at your business it's coming right because most of the companies that we deal with have have moved in the last 18 months um and i just see it moving more and more towards that because that's where the business world is operating they're not doing zoom too much anymore they're not doing you know slack has kind of died and teams is really starting to take over and what we're seeing is is the businesses like the integration that teams offers between the other microsoft products and that's driving user adoption at a very high rate higher than i've seen a lot of software being adopted over the years so this is coming. It's coming your way. If your business hasn't been hit with it yet, you will eventually be asked to, you know, kind of join the ecosystem. I think it's going to be come down between whether you live in Google Workspace or M365. Um, if you work with corporate customers, you work with the government, it's going to be M365. Small businesses, you could probably live in Google Workspace without anybody from the top telling you, no, you got to use this. However, as Ryan mentioned, small business, every small business that came to us and said, 
our clients requiring us to do this. We have to have teams licenses and we have to, you know, run meetings and stuff like that, which means you've got to buy an, an additional license, right? A, a separate license from, you know, an add-on, they call it, for teams to be able to do certain things like run conferences. And we had to explain this to these customers like, hey, you're asking for something that's going to increase your bill with Microsoft. You you have to pay for this stuff. You have, and, and it's like, you know, a lot of times people go into this thinking it's just a flip of a switch. They just have to ask for it and they will get it. Somebody will wave a magic wand and they'll have all this stuff. No, Microsoft is making money off of you using these tools and you're going to have to buy certain things. And I think that that's the other piece. You know, you got to buy licenses and you got to secure it. These are two things that you're going to have to invest money in coming in the near future as you look at this stuff. And that's what we're here to tell you today. Anything else you guys want to add? That's it. Sweet. Randy's typing away, sending sending us private messages. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Typing thanks, folks. Thanks for your input. I appreciate it. Again, folks, worry about your employees. Worry about the data inside your company and what your employees can get access to, what they can't get access to. Get your policies in place. Make sure your people have those policies, they read them, they sign them, they understand them and make it part of your security and awareness training program to keep them up to speed on what's acceptable for you guys to do on your computers and what's not, right? If somebody, if somebody doesn't know they can't install Google Drive, they're gonna install it. But if you tell them in a training program or you put it in a policy, it says, we don't allow any file syncing, sharing applications except this one, then more than likely that when somebody says, hey, just download my drive or install Google Drive, install Dropbox, they're not going to do it because they know that your company doesn't want them doing it. Or at least, you know, there's an effort being made to, to tell them. If you don't have it, they're just going to assume. And we know what assuming does. So, all right. So we'll see everybody in the next episode. Thanks, guys. I appreciate everybody's input. And uh, remember, share the show. Take care, everyone. See you. Yeah.